Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to Comedy Central. Coming to you from New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show. Tonight, Saudi screws fight. Opioids get more fun. And Constance Wu. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. A great show for you tonight. Saudi Arabia wants you to take the bus. All your kids are drug addicts now, and Republicans refuse to abort Herschel Walker. Plus, Constance Wu is joining us as our guest tonight, everybody. So, let's do this, people. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. All right, folks. I'm gonna be honest with you. With all the news that happened today, I just don't think we have enough space in today's show. Yeah, I know, I, I tried. I tried everything to fit it all in. I, I, I even used that machine from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but <laughs> it was a whole thing I accidentally aimed at my crotch, and then I had to like, <laughs> do this to get the other one. And show you. It was like, anyway, the point is I'm fine. <laughs> but there's still not enough time for all the news today. Luckily, not enough time is just enough time for a segment we call Ain't nobody got time for that. All right, let's kick things off with a big story about gas, the only character to appear in every Fast and Furious movie. Gas prices have been falling in America for months now, but it looks like that's about to end, and just in time to throw a big, greasy wrench into the midterms. A win for Russia and potentially higher gas prices for American consumers. The OPEC Plus Alliance of Oil Producing Countries announcing deep cuts in production to boost prices for their members, including Russia and Saudi Arabia. Growing concerns about the future of gas prices in the U.S. We could see an increase in prices by the end of this month, just in time for midterm elections, the worst possible timing for President Biden. This comes just three months after the president visited Saudi Arabia, the biggest player in OPEC. Biden fist-bumped MBS and asked him to increase oil production. Instead, Saudi Arabia did the opposite. Yes, America's ally Saudi Arabia has decided to take sides with Russia and raise oil prices. And at this point, I'm really struggling to understand the relationship between America and Saudi Arabia, right? Because it seems like a very one-sided friendship. 
America sells them weapons and ignores their many human rights abuses, and then Saudi Arabia is like, and in return, we will kill your journalists and raise your gas prices and do 9-11s. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. We are such good friends, such good friends. But I guess that's the power you have when you're in control of all the energy, right? I mean, America can't even threaten the Saudis. What's Biden gonna say? If you raise the prices, we'll fly over there and bomb the shit out of you. Uh, if you could just lend us some gas and fill up our jets, that'll be great. We, we can't get there. And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you have to admit that this is not a good look for Biden. Because think about it, he had to fly all the way across the world to fist bump the crown prince. <laughs> and in exchange, he gets a pie in his face. Honestly, sometimes I feel like the Saudis are just pranking American presidents, you know? Yeah, like, you remember how they were with Trump? They were like, here, do this sword dance. Dance with the sword. Dance. Now, put your hands on the glowing orb. Oh, my God, he's doing it, guys. He's doing it. He's doing it. Americans are so thirsty. <laughs> now, if we had time, we could talk more about how Saudi Arabia could be raising gas prices right before the midterms to punish Biden for running his mouth. Or we could talk about how America has painted itself into this corner by pushing both Venezuela and Iran so far out of the world economy that they can't help stabilize world oil prices. We could even talk about how gasoline comes from dinosaurs, which is crazy! But we don't have the time to talk about any of that because while Saudi Arabia is coming for your wallets, drug dealers are coming for your kids. Urgent Halloween warning. Rainbow fentanyl. This is every parent's worst nightmare. In New York City, 15,000 rainbow fentanyl pills seized from a car just days ago. Many of them found in this yellow Lego box. The DEA calling rainbow fentanyl a deliberate effort by drug traffickers to drive addiction among kids and young adults. But medical specialists contacted by ABC say there has not been evidence presented that the pills are being given to or targeted towards children. No, the children! <laughs> not the children! They're being targeted, although there's no evidence of that. But what if there was? <laughs> the children! What is it about American news that every year they find a new story to scare parents about Halloween? Every single year in this country. Oh, they're gonna put razor blades in the candy. They're gonna poison the candy. They're gonna switch out the real candy for weed. It's almost like every single October, <laughs> the news is like, well, this Halloween, we're gonna go as a gullible grandma who believes everything she reads on Facebook. Yeah. I heard that if your hand is bigger than your face, you have cancer. What are you doing? <laughs> People need to stop fear-mongering. All right, the worst thing anyone gives to kids on, Halloween's, on Halloween is like, like a mounds bar. That's it. Yeah. Those things are so bad. Even the company that makes them is like, well, let's just name it after a big pile of dirt. Why not? <laughs> because let's, let's play along with this logic. Let's play along. What are you saying? You're saying that drug dealers are trying to get little children addicted to drugs? So then what? They can use the millions they've made from the tooth fairy to keep the drug business alive? Huh? Drug dealers want customers, not dependents. These kids don't have the money for fentanyl. What, they're gonna be walking up to a drug dealer? I can pay you in stickers, but not the glitter ones. Those are my favorite. <laughs> and don't cut that shit like the last time, Marty. I want the pure stuff. It's <laughs> the fear mongering. And look, I'm not saying that drugs aren't an issue. I'm saying stop fear mongering to the parents. I see why this is happening. Right now, rainbow fentanyl is the hot new panic drug. And people, I know rainbow fentanyl is scary, but can we just take a minute to congratulate it for being an ally, huh? <laughs> hey, cocaine, maybe your white ass could learn a thing or two about that. <laughs> white all the time. Now, if we had the time, 
We could talk more about how American news organizations are some of the worst offenders in sensationalizing and fueling the war on drugs because their stories ensure that public support for a program that has decimated communities and incarcerated half of the United States carries on. But we don't have the time for that because while local news is trying to pump up the drug war, Joe Biden is trying to undo some of the damage it's caused. More breaking news at this hour. President Biden just pardoned thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession under federal law. And the pardons will impact about 6,500 people with simple marijuana possession convictions between the years 1992 and 2021. He's also asking the secretary of HHS to review how we classify cannabis marijuana in this country, pointing out that marijuana is classified on the same level as heroin. He wants his administration to take another look at that. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs. Yes. Finally. This is something that should have been done a long time ago. You know? Can you imagine how many people are incarcerated? Even worse, can you imagine getting pardoned for this after seeing how mainstream weed has become in America? I bet witches probably feel the same way, you know? (laughs) It's like, oh, so these hipster chicks can walk around Brooklyn with their candles and crystals, but when I did it in Salem, I got burned, bitches, I got burned! (laughs) But yes, this is great for America. This is really good for America, and it's also huge. This is a huge week for the characters on Scooby-Doo. Think about it. (laughs) Yeah, first Velma comes out as a lesbian, and now Shaggy's getting a federal pardon? What? I know everyone is saying that Joe Biden is just doing this to boost his popularity before the midterms, but in my opinion, I think maybe this thing hits closer to home. I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Biden is secretly a huge pothead. (laughs) Yeah, no, think about it, think about it. Think about it. Joe Biden could smoke a lot of weed. Yeah, he's he's always puttering around like he forgot where he was going, you know? He's wearing sunglasses everywhere he goes. I mean, he definitely talks like he's high. He's like, Amer- America, you know the thing? I'm, no, just like, I, no, I'm not joking. Come on, man, come on. We, we're here now, and the future's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's here. Now, if we just had a little more time, we could discuss why anyone anywhere in America is still in jail for something that almost everyone agrees isn't a crime. Or we could talk about how convenient it is that weed is no longer bad now that America has figured out how to make money from it. But We don't have the time for that because while the U.S. is showing signs of finally getting over its obsession with drugs, Elon Musk is unveiling his master plan to get everyone addicted to something else. After a few contentious months, Elon Musk and Twitter seem to have reached a deal. And Musk is now poised to buy the social media app. Musk tweeting last night his purchase of Twitter will be part of his plans for an app called X, a so-called super app that acts as a condensed version of the internet, letting you do everything within one app. The best example of this is WeChat. It's owned by Chinese internet giant Tencent and has over 1 billion users, mostly throughout Asia. WeChat lets you send text messages, pay for things online and in stores, hail a car ride, play video games, and so much more. Musk telling Twitter employees in a town hall over the summer, WeChat could be a model for future versions of Twitter. Yeah, Elon Musk wants to turn Twitter into a super app that does everything in one place. And I will tell you now, I hate that idea. I don't want Twitter to do more things. I like how it works now. Every day, the entire world picks one person and destroys their life. (laughs) And then the next day, we find someone else. It's perfect. It works pretty well. But for real, like, 
Twitter is such a toxic sewer. Why would you want to link it to all the other parts of your life? It's like a businessman saying, hey, you see this trash can? What if it was also your car? <laughs> and not to burst anyone's bubble, but we already have this, all right? It's called an iPhone. Seriously, are we so lazy now that we're like, oh, I wanna order someone to bring me food, but the app is all the way on the other side of the phone, <laughs> and my thumb is so tired, oh. Now look, if we had a little more time, we could talk, and we could have so much fun talking about how Elon Musk thought he was trolling all of us, but instead just spent $44 billion trolling himself. And I know you might be saying, oh yeah, well he still owns Twitter, Trevor, yeah, and somebody owned MySpace. I'll see you guys on the next app. But we don't have the time to talk about any of that. Because someone, somewhere in the world says something by mistake, and now all of us on Twitter are gonna try and destroy their lives. Watch some ads, we'll be right back. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. show. The midterms are only a month away, and one of the most closely watched races is in Georgia, where Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock is being challenged by Herschel Walker, former football star and walking Maury Povich episode. <laughs> so let's catch up on today's big twist in the race in another installment of Vote Demic 2022. 
of this race, Herschel Walker has been one of the loudest champions for a total ban on abortion, which made it a bit awkward this week when a woman accused him of paying her to get one. <laughs> now, when the story broke, Herschel Walker said this woman was lying. I don't even know who this lady is. But it turns out that he might be the liar. More fallout for Georgia's pro-life Senate candidate Herschel Walker after he said he had no idea why a woman would accuse him of paying for her to have an abortion. Have you figured out who it is? Uh, not at all. It's sort of like everyone is anonymous or everyone is leaking and they want you to confess to something you have no clue about. But after Walker made that statement, the woman went public. She is the mother of one of his children. That's awkward. Oh, man. He says he doesn't know the woman, but it turns out she's reportedly the mother of one of his kids. So either Herschel Walker is lying or his penis does some crazy shit while he's asleep. <laughs> yeah, penis is just like, ah, he's finally out. Time for me to hit the streets and do what a glizzy gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> now, after this woman blew up Walker's spot, he didn't exactly withdraw his denial, but he did say that if he'd paid for an abortion, quote, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And here's the thing, I agree with that. I agree with it. It's not. Unless you're known as the anti-abortion guy. <laughs> That's literally your thing. It's like if you, if you caught Smokey Bear torching a forest. Remember, only I can dance among the beautiful light of the screeping flames, kids. <laughs> and now clearly Herschel Walker is willing to run on a platform that he himself doesn't actually believe. But what's been amazing to see is how the Republican Party feels the same way. There is no perfect person. No way. He'll do more to change the Senate just by the sheer presence, by his confidence, by his deep commitment to Christ. He's been through a long, tough period. He had a lot of concussions coming out of football. He suffered PTSD. You're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion. I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. You know, you gotta love it when they say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> I love it. Abortion is totally unforgivable unless I need to do it. In fact, in fact, what you're saying is you're fine with an abortion if you need to win a Senate race, a Senate race, but you're not fine with a woman needing it to save her own life. That's what you're saying. You know, usually you only see this kind of hypocrisy from your landlord. <laughs> yeah, if your rent is late by one day, they kick your door in, want to kick you to the curb, but then when it takes them two months to fix a leak in the ceiling, suddenly they're like, hey, life happens, be patient, be patient. All right, taking time. And by the way, I'm gonna need to charge you extra for the rain coming from your living room. That's a special feature, that's what that is. <laughs> and by the way, as for the rest of them, I'm constantly amazed at how quickly Republicans forgive certain people. Yeah. Huh? They're like, Herschel Walker deserves forgiveness for his sins. I'm not even disagreeing, but it's interesting how quickly they, they move, right? But when it comes to prison reform or college debt, suddenly they're like, people have got to pay the price for what they've done. There are consequences in life. You do something and then there's a consequence. I'll, I'll be honest, people. I honestly don't understand how any of this makes sense, but I want to, I want to, which is why I've asked Desi Lydic 
to explain it to us. Herschel Walker is under attack by the usual suspects, the lamestream media, the woke left, his children. But what's the real story? Well, I've been watching Fox News for 498 hours straight, and I'm ready to explain why Herschel Walker is the biggest victim of cancel culture since the Chaco Taco. Herschel Walker aborted baby eagles. I don't care if he aborted baby kangaroos. I don't care if he aborted baby otters. I've been banned from all the petting zoos and I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry, but we're supposed to believe all these stories from Herschel Walker's kids? They've never even met Herschel Walker. Even if he did pay for that woman's abortion, that just proves that he's a gentleman. Sorry, feminazis, but chivalry is not dead. And what is an abortion if not stopping a freeloader from coming across the southern border? What would Jesus do? Seriously, I'm asking. Herschel represents American values. Football. College football. We are so close to controlling the Senate. We cannot let our dreams be crushed by one unplanned pregnancy. Wait. I don't care what Herschel Walker did. As long as he gets in the Senate, we can stop other people from doing what he did, which he didn't do. Ah! It doesn't matter what Herschel Walker did in the past. It matters what he does starting now. He got caught doing what? Jesus. Starting now. Jesse Lydic, everybody. All right, when we come back, Constance Wu will be joining us on the show, so don't go away. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is one of the stars of the new film, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. She's also written a deeply personal memoir called Making a Scene. Please welcome Constance Wu. (laughs) 
Constance Wu, welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you, good to be here. Um, let's start with the, the question that I've been trying to figure out the entire time what? reading the book. The, just the, the title of the so book. Why am I so red? <laughs> no, yeah. making a scene. You know, that there's so many different interpretations for this. Like making a scene, are you saying good making a scene, bad making a scene, is it full making a scene? You, you write a memoir about your life, that is the title. Why that? Well, you kind of got it because it's supposed to um, have multiple meanings. Mm -hmm. There's two overarching themes in the book. One is how art is very healing. And for me, art was always doing theater. And in theater, you make scenes in a play. And um, the other theme is sort of about what it means when somebody makes a scene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how growing up, I sort of felt that it was unladylike to make scenes and how that repression was something that I've been struggling with my whole life as a naturally extroverted emotional person. And so now I'm just like, I'll just be emotional and just make a scene. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I didn't know what to expect when I picked up the book, you know, because w when you read somebody's memoir, you have an idea of who they are, and then you have an idea of what you think their memoir will be. You've written it in a really interesting way in that, I've seen a book that has essays, and I've seen a book that's written in a completely linear format, but you've told some of the stories, or you've written them as screenplays, and it feels like we're in a movie that is your life. Why did you choose to do that? Is that how you saw it, or, or do you want us to feel like we're in the movie that is your life? Well, there are certain scenes or parts of the book that were originally written as dialogue that happened to me as I recount my experiences. Got it, got it, got it. And then I put them in a sort of screenplay or playwriting format because I feel like sometimes with actor memoirs, there's a little bit of a, a kind of a slant, like they're trying to make themselves be the victim or the hero mm -hmm. or like cooler than. Mm -hmm. And I felt like by putting it in a scene format, it sort of took you out of the book in a way that made the experience more objective. So if I'm talking about somebody putting Okay. You know, his hand on my crotch. I could talk about how that felt to me, or I could just explain the action, and everybody will have their own response to it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Because, <laughs> yeah, because that, that was something interesting in the book. You know, you shared some really vulnerable moments in your life. Yeah. You talked about going through sexual harassment, you know, one of the producers on the show, the hit show that you were on, Fresh Off the Boat. But what's interesting is... It doesn't seem like you are trying to slam somebody. Yeah, it I'm seems not. like you're recounting what happened. You even seem to have, honestly, a, a compassion that I don't think many people would, where you go, I understand where this guy came from. I didn't appreciate what he did. He made my, my life a living hell, but I forgive him. And then you go on to talk about parts, you know, later on the book where you realized that there were moments where you felt like you were creating a, a, an environment that was harassing to people, not on the same level in any way. No. But, but I was intrigued by why you would do that and, and how you would even begin to think like that? Well, I mean, I, you are right. I even, in a way, have a compassion for the person who raped me. And that is something that is, you know, you don't do. And the reason I do it is not to have compassion and not to take their side, but I do feel that if I am asking for people to look at my life and my mistakes with curiosity and empathy rather, rather than judgment, mm -hmm. I feel like I want to do the same for other people. And it was beautiful because as I was doing that, it made me stop blaming myself. Hmm. So, you know, I felt really bad with the sexual harassment on Fresh Off the Boat because sometimes I, 
wanted to be part of the boys club mm -hmm. so like when he would do or say something that was inappropriate I'd be like oh my god you're such a dick you know like laughing with right, him right. and I felt like that was a type of permissiveness and I felt guilty because of that um, but then when I thought about how he's an Asian American man and how Asian American men have traditionally felt very emasculated in this country and what that does to a person and why and how they might exercise their feelings of powerlessness and exercise it on the women in their own community because he was always respectful to white and black women all around me. It was just to Asian women hmm. who weren't in positions of power that he sort of exercised his power. And it, you know, I, I consider that and I consider the pressure he was under, not to excuse him, but just to understand people better. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You, you know, you, you, you bring up your life and everything that you've gone through. There are many people who are familiar with it, and there are obviously those who learn about it from the book or maybe even from us speaking about it. But you went through a really interesting period where you were on this hit show. It came out of nowhere. It was a supernova, fresh off the boat. People were loving it. It, it represented, you know, the Asian community, and it was this exciting new idea, and it was funny, it was powerful. And then, I think it was after about five seasons, people thought the show was done. You started booking a few projects. Then the show got picked up and you had to go back to the show contractually. You spoke up about it on Twitter, you know, and... I mean, you, I more than spoke up about it. I, I mean, had some you, rather profane tweets. Yeah, so. I, I'm, you, I'll let you, I'm objectively giving it to you. <laughs> Thank but, um, you. We'll write it in a screenplay yes, format. Yes, I'll put it in a screen. You, you, you said a few <laughs> things. And, and what you talk about in the book, and I, I, I really enjoyed it, is you talk about how you felt, you talk about the mistakes you made, but then you talk about the response and, and, and how people made you feel, leading to a point where you, you contemplated suicide. Um, yeah, I, I actually really did pull myself over a balcony ledge. So it was very close, and I'm very lucky that I had a friend there to help me. But... Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I do think the reaction to my not ladylike tweets mm -hmm. was outsized in proportion to my <coughs> mistake. Right. And um, it's... Yeah, you got, I remember you, got, you were getting slammed. Like yeah. people, people were coming after you. People were like, oh, you, they, they were saying like, you should kill yourself. You're ungrateful. You're all, it, I remember it at the time. And it, it was huge. It went far beyond like what had happened. You know, it felt like you were angry and you were lashing out. Yeah. <laughs> but the response was, it, it, like, it seemed like you killed was, someone. It was pretty cruel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's why I ended up in a hospital and why I inevitably had to take a break from Hollywood to sort of, God, I didn't want to cry, I'm sorry, right, to, like, on. work on my mental health. Um, and, it, and it was lonely, and I'll tell you what, it remains a little bit lonely because one of the things I wanted to talk about was how the Asian-American community has largely remained silent because they're so hyper-focused on this idea of positive representation. And I think that is such an illusion. It's like the model minority coin, but just the, the other side of mm -hmm. it. We need a whole human representation, which includes mistakes, which includes insecurities and vulnerabilities. And it includes the intersections of race and gender because one of the few people that I told back in season two that I was being sexually harassed was one of the most 
vocal and prominent advocates for Asian Americans. Very um, progressive, yeah. very outspoken. And I sort of told him, I guess, as a, as a testing ground to see, you know, if he would believe me. Right. And he just looked at me like my dog had died and then never asked said anything again. And a week later, I saw him introducing my abuser on an Asian American panel with the most profuse praise. And it felt like such a betrayal. And I'm like, if even he doesn't believe me, who's going to believe me? And this is prior to the Me Too movement. And I just want to say to a lot of Asian American male activists, if you claim to stand for Asian Americans, you have to stand for women too, because that's 50% of that population. When you, when you experienced this, it, it, was really, it was really interesting to read through how you felt about it in the book, you know, because, because you, you share the complexities of, of what you were going through. And one of those complexities was around the burden of caring for an entire group. You know, I, I spoke to a friend of mine and um, she was telling me, you know, she's Chinese and she moved to the US and she was saying how she's always been taught that the group is more important than the whole, regardless of the cost. And you, yeah. you talk about in the book about how many said to you, it doesn't matter what happened to you, What's more important is how the Asian community is perceived. Yes, that positive representation of the whole. And how, when you stray from that. Right. And, and so how did, you, how did you find the balance and also the fortitude to say, look, I am here representing the Asian community as a whole, as a, as a, as a complex person, but I also wish to be protected as an individual. Like, where, where did you find that strength? Where did you, because you, as you say, you were contemplating suicide. You, you, you know, you were, yeah. you were in a mental hospital. You, you went through so many things. What, what is it that changed in Constance's life where you decided, no, you know what? I, I've got to change how I deal with this. Well, to be honest, I think I'm still finding it. But I think one thing I learned is that repressing those stories of abuse that happened to me, it wasn't just going to go away because I wanted it to go away, mm -hmm. because I wanted to maintain the reputation of the show. And I realized if I'm going to live as my authentic self, then I just need to do it, even at the risk of some other people's discomfort. And so I do think my speaking out is gonna make some people uncomfortable, but I think discomfort is often where you find growth. And it's sort of the only way I know how to be right now. I love that for you. I, uh... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing, I could throw, I'll, I'll put that away. I use that for myself. Like oh, evidence I, of my yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I would be doing the book and your life a disservice if we just stayed on the saddest parts and the saddest moments I know, that's that all experience. anybody wants to talk about. Well, no, no not me. I, oh, good. Um, no, Very because, glad to because, hear that. because it, it, it is a life, you know? There are many funny moments. You, you tell amazingly funny stories. Um, I feel bad for almost every guy who's dated you, especially like, <laughs> What I mean, what I mean is because you tell the stories in a really funny way. And if I was one of like the maitre d', for instance, there's so yeah. many great stories you tell <laughs> about dating and life going well, life not going well. It's silly things. There's funny moments. You know, you talk about moving in your 20s. You, 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 you share really fun stories about your journey growing up, moving on. For instance, just the way you speak about your sisters. You're one of four, right? I'm and, one of four girls. Right, one family, of four yeah. girls. And I love how in, in the book you talk about how Helen is just like your favorite sister. And I was like, you do realize your sisters are going to read this book. 
Are you not worried about that? Them knowing that you have a favorite now? Did I say favorite? Yeah. yeah. You no, guys... no, no, no. I said she's the one I've become closest to in adulthood. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> oh, she's the one I'm closest to. That's not much better. But what I love is that you, 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 you share a lot, and it's and it's and it's funny, and it's complex. When you look at your life, when you when you look at the laughter that you you bring to yourself, like what are some of the funniest moments? that you loved reading about in your own book? Because I feel like writing a book means you have to relive some of what you've been through. Oh yeah, you have to read it so many times right. when you're editing. It's like a whole thing. And I wrote it all myself. Um, yeah. That's why it took me so long. Um, I mean, there's one essay I really enjoyed writing about my first ever job, um, which was at a bread bakery, yes. where I learned about what it means, what it really means to bake bread. When you think about it, for centuries, the recipe has stayed the same. Mm -hmm. And it, it's funny, I, I was almost embarrassed I'm almost embarrassed of my job now because an acting career feels so flimsy next to something as substantial as a loaf of bread. When you really think about what that has meant, meant for cultures. And also, like, writing that one brought back all the smells of the bakery yes. and the taste. Do you still bake? No. Oh. Oh, wow. I feel like that's like a missed opportunity, just like now and again. Well, you know? I mean, I do explain in the book, you know, I was I was at the kneading table, so yes. I kneaded the bread and I shaped it, but right. I was never the mixer. That's like a very important role where they mix the dough. Yes. And um, that was never my job because I was like a 15-year-old. It's too important of a job for a 15-year-old. <laughs> when, when you walk past a place that's baking something, do you get memories immediately? Oh, yes. Yeah. I even tried to audition um, to be a baker when I first moved to LA and I was like, let me try a different side job other than waitressing. Right. I have, um, I have these baking skills, let me try it. So they auditioned me for this baking role and I remember the mixer, he and I were working together and I'm trying to make small talk the way you might do with you know, your waitressing staff and, and saying like, oh, you know, I'm an actress, what do you do? Yes. And he looked at me and he said, I'm a baker. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I remember thinking like, that's, that's right. Yeah, you are. That's an honorable job, you know? <laughs> and you were like, I'm, I'm just here as my side hustle. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I here as my side hustle. And I didn't get the job. You didn't. And you know what? You <laughs> ended up in the right one. Constance, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for thank joining you. me on the show. Congratulations on a really fascinating book. Making a Scene is available wherever you buy your books. There are tons more stories, so make sure you go out and get it. Constance, who everybody? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Thank you very much for being This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. 
connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.